Hey, dear preachers, Rachel Wren here. Thanks for coming to First Reading. Before we begin this week's episode, I wanted to come and offer you a moment of prayer in a time when uh, things might be a little crazy and a little busy right now. And the moment that I, I wanted to offer you was a moment of song. Uh, I just wanted you to think about what songs you've been hearing lately. I find that when I'm going through something spiritually, the Holy Spirit often speaks to me in a song lyric or a refrain or sometimes even just some notes. And so I'm wondering if you pause for a second, what song has been following you lately? What lyrics have been speaking to your spirit in some way? Take a moment and maybe write them down, or just sit with them. What is God saying to you through song? Is it words of hope? Is it words of encouragement? Is it words perhaps that your people might even need to hear? Whatever words they may be, we are thankful for you, and we are grateful for all that you do. Welcome to First Reading. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all lovers of the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. This week, we're looking at the psalm reading for May 10th, 2020, the fifth Sunday of Easter. And uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5, and 15 through 16. (laughs) That was kind of an interesting response, Rachel. Not to the psalm, but to the breakdown of it. Okay, tell me about it. Well, so the last episode I recorded, I said, don't worry so much about the chopping up of Psalm 116. I came to Psalm 31 and I had an immediate visceral response. Psalm 31 is a gorgeous psalm. And the way it's chopped up here from the Revised Common Lectionary makes it curated. Do you know what I mean when I say curated? I think so. I mean, I hear about curating yourself sort of on social media where you're like a curated life. You're sort of presenting the best parts and keeping the, the ugly parts hidden. Yes. Is that where you're is that what you mean? Exactly. This is a Facebook psalm. What they have done to this <laughs> psalm is made it a Facebook Instagram psalm. Now, okay, quick asterisk. When it comes to social media and Facebook, I know that there can be good reasons for doing that to a certain extent. Um, I've just recently seen a study that talks about uh, for teenagers, especially for young women, uh, the new kind of currency of being cool is how messed up you are, um, how long you've been seeing a therapist, how dark you've gone in thoughts or deeds. And that's not a healthy lifestyle or um, you know anything that we would want from our young people. So. I get the idea of not dwelling in the dark. Hmm. The the other thing I understand is that there can be a very thin line on social media between being in relationship with people and encouraging a fascination with your life in order to sell a product. I'm not talking about all of us as if we were celebrities, but at the same time, on social media, all of us have a certain heightened attention to our lives that can lend itself to consumption. And I think this is especially true for people who are uh, community leaders, but it's it's true for all people. So do you know what I mean when I talk about 
a fascination with our lives that lends itself to consumption? I think so. Like uh, we we create a persona of ourselves that's not really the whole us part of us that we want people to take in and to own as their version of us. So that's yeah. that's kind of the consumption part of it, right? Yeah, and it, and we do that so that we can sell something. I think that we can have a tendency to curate and then present parts of ourselves, our lives, our bodies, in order to sort of sell the church product, um, which sounds like a vulgar way of talking about it. But again, I, I think that line between honest relationship and the use of honest relationship to cultivate a product is very, very thin. Can you say a, another word about that? I'm not quite sure I, I followed exactly what you meant by selling the, the church product. Can you yeah, explain that? Yeah. Um, so I think as a pastor, if you were to go on and say everything that you are thinking, feeling, and experiencing on Facebook, first of all, you'd make public parts of your life, like especially with your children, that aren't really the business of your parishioners. At the same time, if we curate this persona of the pastor, of Rachel the pastor, and use that to present the church in that way then, we might not be entirely honest about our own doubts, our own faith struggles, our own moments Mm. where we're like, dang God, this really sucks here, and I wish you would do something about it, and I don't see that happening. Those are the kinds of things that we would maybe curate off in order to not taint this presentation of ourselves or our churches that we're hoping to put out there. Um, And I I don't say this in like a condemning way, like, oh, I've seen people do this. I say this as something, this has been an internal struggle for me as well, uh, both as pastor and pastor's spouse, you know, how much of what you put out there is representative of you and how much of what you put out there is representative of this other thing, this institution. Does that, does that help? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it, that does get us back to the psalm in that what the lectionary kind of does with it is tries to sell the spirituality of it by cutting out all of the tricky parts and leaving all of the, you know, cuddly parts <laughs> for us right. to use in church. Exactly. And, and the thing is, as humans, we are instinctual animals and our instincts know when something has been gift wrapped and topped with a cherry and presented for the world to admire. And that is the feeling I get from reading these excerpts of this psalm. Okay, so do something different with it, with it then. So oh. do we just we read the whole thing? Preach the whole thing? What do you think? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, at least preach some of the grittiness of it. Because Psalm 31 as a whole is a gorgeous poem about gritty hope. Um, so it starts out in verses one to five with a request for God's help. The, the person who's praying is asking for refuge, is feeling shamed by the people around them, is in need of a God to be thick stone walls that rise up around the believer. So, so right there, what we should understand is that something's going wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Something is bad in the psalmist's life and they need help. In verse 5, it goes all the way even to saying those famous words that Jesus spoke from the cross. If you take it into Hebrew and break it down, it goes, So the breakdown is, In your hand, or even in your power, which is a form of the verb, which here sort of means to entrust something. Mm-hmm. And then, which is spirit, with the possessive suffix my on the end, so my spirit. 
you can translate that as, I entrust my spirit into your power, or as Jesus so elegantly quoted it in Luke 23, verse 46, into your hands, I commend my spirit. All of this is to say, we should not read these first five verses as just a statement of faith. They are also a cry for help. Mm, yeah. What we cut out when we cut out the middle of the psalm and just jump to verse 15, which continues this reassurance that God will help us, is we cut out some of that really gritty reality of having faith, both the highs and the lows. So verse 8 contains this statement, which is just the best image of what it feels like to be redeemed. Um, it goes, you have set my feet in a broad place. Uh, where I was a pastor was prairie land. Hmm. It went on for miles and the, the grass only came about knee high and you could just see everything going farther and farther and farther. And what I remember about being in the prairie land is you can breathe deeper. Like huh. the actual expanse that's laid before you made my chest expand more when I would take deep breaths. Um, it, it's a similar feeling whenever I've gone on hikes and crested to the top of the mountain and you can just see the world laid out broadly before you. You just kind of feel like it's the opposite of constriction, of suffocating, yeah. of kind of a soul-crushing reality. And so often in the Psalms, the difficult places and and distress is the the word that's used there is narrow like narrow yeah. places in fact is that in this song yes it is in in verse eight okay. you notice my affliction and are mindful of my tsarot my go. narrownesses and you've set me in a in a wide open space wide open spaces. Okay, so you don't have to go all the way to Dixie Chicks, but you get the point. Like if you skip over this part, you you miss sort of that that apex of what it feels like to be delivered. Then the other thing you miss is what immediately happens in the very next verse. Because in the very next verse you go from you have set me in a broad place to be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. And it can feel a little like whiplash, but if you're really going through a tough time in life, I'm thinking especially of anxiety or depression or even grief, you have those moments of the broad place, but you don't get to stay there the whole time. You, you waffle back and forth between the dark moments and the joy of the light. And this is a really honest portrayal of what that feels like. When you go to the second part of verse 9, uh, the NRSV translated, my eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. Now, Tim, what do you think I'm going to say about this verse when <laughs> soul and body are in it? I think there's a nephish in there somewhere. There's totally a nephish and it is so badly translated. So what this verse is about is an all-encompassing grief. And the NRSV tries to translate it by soul and body, kind of inside, outside. And I'm calling bull on that because the words are eyes, nefesh, beten, which means belly. Mm -hmm. The structure is very consistent in the Hebrew. They're all nouns and all of them follow one right after another directly. So it goes eyes, nefesh, belly, and they all have the possessive suffix, which just means if you're in Hebrew, it's the way they say my. We say the word my before the noun, my car, my eyes. Hebrew does that at the end of the word, car, my, eyes, my. So my point here is there's a consistency. If we translate the first one as my eyes, then we should translate the other one as what they, ones as what they are as well. My eyes, my throat, 
my belly. And what we end up with is this perfect, succinct description of what it is like physically to be exhausted from weeping. And yes, it's absolutely an exhaustion of the body and soul, but to say that loses the punch of the poetry. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in turmoil. My eyes, my throat, my belly are wasting away from grief. Yeah, that's great. We should hear it in Hebrew. Yeah, I mean, it's punches of that my over and over again. You know, it's the punch of grief. It's the punch of, of real sorrow. So there's a gritty realness to this psalm, which waffles back and forth between despair or deep sorrow and hope. And, and the impression that we get if we skip all over that and jump straight from verse 5 to verse 15 sounds like this. Verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. I mean, it sounds like a court poem, doesn't it? Right, right. It sounds like something you would say if you're in the presence of someone you can't be real with. Mm. And by cutting it off at verse 16, we don't even get to the best part of the poem, the last verse, which is just this beautiful summation of hopeful grit. Verse uh, 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is a verse that is honest about the fact that God's not here yet. And even though God's not here yet, we wait with courage and with strength and with grit and with resilience. And what better thing could we possibly teach our kids or our congregation or even ourselves than that faith reality? Yeah, totally. And we've got such a great resource for teaching it in the poetry of the Psalms. So why would we skip over the good stuff? Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's gift wrapped in a good way for us, not in a curated way, but just in a like, here it is on a platter, baby, take it and run with it. Now, I will say one preaching pitfall. If you are going to do this whole poem, the person who is praying this is mad at the people they see as wicked, those who lie, those who take advantage of others. And I just want to caution before you dive too deeply into that end of the pool be careful to not put yourself and your congregation too comfortably into the shoes of the one calling themselves righteous and others wicked. I think we can challenge that viewpoint of this poem because what it does is lend itself so easily for us to neatly assign whole groups of people into the group of the righteousness and the group of the wicked. Mm -hmm. And in a year of election, we don't need help doing that. (laughs) We're doing it naturally anyway. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We don't need more opportunity to be like the self-righteous prayer in Matthew, who thanked God that he wasn't like those wicked, wicked people. And I think this is especially true for churches who are already at the top of the food chain, so to speak, in terms of race or wealth or whatever it might be. Carry the grit of this poem, but challenge that viewpoint. And it, it's in that tension between hopeful grit and sort of a self-honesty. I think it's there that true faith is born and this psalm just due to it. Well, let's leave it right there because that's <laughs> there's nothing I want to add to that. That, that, <laughs> that preaches right there. It's so good, y'all. So if you don't want to do sermon prep this week, just bust out your iPhone and uh, 
play Rachel's podcast episode and you, you've got it right there. Yes. Well, I, as always, I'm appreciative of your perpetual encouragement to take on more of these texts, especially the sense of not cutting out the difficult gritty parts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we have a lot of that. We always try to include the grit. And so if you want to hear more of it, you can check out back episodes at firstreadingpodcast.com and you can subscribe to us on iTunes and all of the good podcast places. We will be back next week with more in the Psalms of Easter. Until then, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. God's blessings on the grit, folks.